Victory Alabang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Good day, everyone. And it's a wonderful Sunday. And there's a lot of things that is happening around us. Um, for the past six months, relatively, uh, most of us have been at home. I have a three-year-old daughter who, who loves me and I love it. And I'm fascinated always with the questions that she asks, you know. Before uh, this day, she was asking me, uh, Tatay, why is it raining? Uh, Tatay, why is the panda smiling? And then those questions, sometimes you can easily answer with some logical ideas. And then some questions are harder to answer. Like, Tatay, why am I happy? <laughs> because there are things in our lives that are easier explained than others. And today, this Sunday, we're going to talk about something that's kind of hard to explain. Because we know this, there are things that we know are true, but it's hard to explain. Happiness, joy, love, peace. Those things, are we know those are true, but they're hard to explain. So is God's sovereignty. And today as we look into the scripture and this wonderful letter of Paul to these people in the church in Rome, we're going to look into God's sovereign love. And what I hope for us to happen is that today, would be able to answer a very simple question. How does God's sovereign love affect the way we live our lives? Because it's not enough to just explain God's sovereignty. It would not be enough for us to understand God's sovereignty. But it should challenge us with the way we live our lives. So I invite you to open your Bibles. If you're, if it's your first time joining us this Sunday, um, we have been going through this series entitled The Gospel Explained, where we go through the book of Romans, this wonderful book written thousands of years ago by a man named Paul. And he wrote this during a time where the, the, the empire of Rome was just over most of the land. And then imagine this. It's 57 AD. And there's a church, there are several house churches in Rome. And some of them are of Jewish descent. And now, I know for sure, if you're hearing this story for the first time, it's not as easy to, to just chunk in, okay? But, but be patient because this is the best way to understand the next few verses that we're going to talk about is to understand the story that lies behind it. So, a couple of house churches in a city called Rome, and then some of them are Jewish people. Meaning they started following Jesus. They grew up in this wonderful tradition of Jew, um, Judaism where they believed that they're the chosen people of God. But suddenly Christ came and they started following this Jesus and he radically changes their lives. And they're just another group of people, those who did not grow, grow up in Judaism, and they started joining them. These Gentiles, as the Bible calls them, are people who did not do the things that they used to do. But then... They're saying, we're now the same as you. So you can imagine how it works in that church. Within those several house churches, there have been divisions and, and differences in opinions, especially when the, when the Jewish people were, were thrown out of Rome and they, when they came back, the church was kind of different. So Paul was writing to these people. And, and one of the problems with reading letters this way, because we're going to talk about three chapters today. Um, one of the problems is that we're reading just a part of the letter. So it's important to understand the big picture of it. So Paul is writing a letter to a people that is divided along the ethnic line. And they're arguing about who's better. The, the Israelites are arguing, we're, we're Jews. Of course, we're the ones. We're the people called by God. And the Gentiles... They have this sort of arrogance saying, well, uh, 
the, the reason why we're in this church is because you guys didn't do your part. We're grafted in because you were broken away. So Paul was writing not a theological book primarily, but a book that comes into the picture to unite the church and remind them who they truly are in Christ. So today, we're going to read chapter 9 to chapter 11. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to reflect on what does God's sovereignty mean and how does that shape the way we live our lives. So I invite you to the last verses in chapter 11. Paul's conclusion in this section will read it and imagine how Paul responds after he explains the sovereign love of God. He explains to the Israelites and he explains to the Jewish, uh, to the Gentile people what sovereignty means. And then he concludes chapter 11 verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this time that we could gather this Sunday. And as we just enjoy this time and in these three wonderful chapters of Paul's work, I pray that it would not just inform us of God's glorious sovereignty, but it would move us towards loving you and loving one another and, and having a life that's extraordinarily shaped by your grace. Lord, I thank you for the families that are with us right now. Thank you for your word for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. If you have been with us in the past few week, last week, you know that Paul was talking about the love of God. So as we enter chapter 9, he would start talking this way. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul started this chapter specifically with a pain in his heart. And why is that? Why is that? It's because of his brothers. In fact, he says here with an exaggerated tone, I wish I could be a curse and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Talking about the Jewish people. He, he was saying, how I wish I, I would be just cut off by Christ. Exaggeratedly, of course. But his point is this, the pain is so bad. Because some of his brothers are not following Christ. And then he turns, he says, but it's not that God's word failed. That some of the Israelites are not following Jesus, it doesn't mean that he failed. What does that mean then? It means still that God's love is sovereign. And how does Paul explain this to the people on that church? So you have to imagine people reading this. As we think about the wondrous love of God that we talked about last week, the love of God that transcends all pains, all suffering, nothing can separate us. That's so true. But what do we make of some people following Jesus and some people not following Jesus, at least in, in the sense of the Israelites, because that's what Paul's issue is, right? One thing that we can say is this, God's love is sovereign, which means 
it, it goes beyond. It's so powerful that it goes beyond how we understand things, how we think it should be, how we expect things to be. And that's the expectation of the Jewish people, right? That, that those who will be saved are Jewish people. And the Gentile people, um, you know, they're, they're kind of second-rate uh, Israelites. But we're the main guys. But Paul negates that. And Paul takes that image away because he says, no, no, no. God has chosen to love you. And, and he uses examples that are very familiar to them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And we won't have time to go through each example here. But then we can zoom in some of them. For example, in chapter uh, 9, verse 13, it says there, As it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Because that's a complaint of, of the Israelites. Why aren't the other Israelites in this thing? In following Jesus? And, and then Paul says, because God loves those he chooses to love. And, 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 and the tension it's building here is, is to think that, um, isn't that unfair, God? Isn't that unfair? In fact, that's the same question that, that, that you will see here. Say, um, shall we say then, verse 14 of chapter 9, that there's injustice in God's part? He says, by no means. And that phrase right there, that Greek phrase, by no means, in Tagalog, you can think about pambihira na isip niyo pa yun, na, na unjust si God, that He's doing something wrong. No, because the fact is, He loves. It's like Charles Spurgeon when he looks at this. He has no problem with God hating Jacob. His thing is in, why is God loving? Uh, he has no thing about hating Esau. He has the thing about, why is God loving Jacob when all of us truly deserve to be not preferred over the other? That God so chooses to love beyond ethnic identity, beyond allegiance to a certain kind of group of people, God chooses to love. Now we have to pause and imagine and think for a day, what does that mean? So, ano ngayon? I'm a 20th century, in quarantine period kind of person, and I don't know what to make of what you're saying, Pastor Jay. Maybe Moses can help us. He says, verse 15 in chapter 9, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion and whom I have compassion. And he compared it to the Pharaoh. And then he continued on with this image of a pot the pottery image. And, and there he says, should, should the pot now question the pot maker? Because uh, it was designed for something and not the other? What it means for us, as we reflect on the kind of love that God has, God's love that is sovereign, that, we, that goes beyond our expectations, that goes above what we expect it to be, that He loves despite, is this. We can find comfort in this kind of love that allows us to be into His arms, not by our merit, but by His grace. And I think, you know, if you've been with us in the past 15 weeks, we've been talking about this kind of grace and this kind of love that transcends all kinds of things. And, and sometimes it's so easy to minimize that. And they go, of course, love ako ni God. But pause to think about it. 
we we are not we gentiles we we originally at least when you look at the old testament it seems that God has no plans of reaching out to us, but for some glorious, graceful reason, He chose to love. That in this season of pain and suffering and uncertainty, we have this certainty that we can stand on the rock of truth of God, that His love goes beyond our expectations. The comfort in this season is that just like when you are invited to a party, what your invitation is, is not your last name, nor your title, nor your allegiances, nor your political opinion. The invitation is the love of God. That as you enter into that door, to that party, what you'll present is that I have the love of God. You have to pause and think about that. He goes through several images. He goes through Hosea. Who talks about uh, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And, and her who was, not, who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place, it said, you are not my people, there will be called the sons of the living God. That God has so chosen. And remember, Paul was talking to the Israelites. He said, he's telling them that God chooses to love beyond you that God chooses to bring in other people and, and that God chooses only these people is not your concern. What you should know is that He loves beyond our expectations. And we know that Paul is still talking to his brothers, the Israelites, because in chapter 10, he would say, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer is for God and for them is that they may be saved. That is the desire of Paul, that all the Jewish people would come to follow Jesus. But he says this, But these people have so developed a kind of righteousness that is based on themselves. A kind of righteousness that is based on the law. In chapter 10, verse 5, he says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But righteousness based on faith says, do not say to your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the abyss. This is um, Paul quoting Deuteronomy 30, that is to bring Christ from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, because if you confess... With your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul was, was taking this grand reality into the forefront and saying, you are not saved because of your lineage. You are not saved because of your merit. You're saved because of the love of God and because of faith. And the tragedy of our modern day religion is to think that if only I attend enough services, if only I pray enough prayers, if only I give enough things, if I only be good enough, then maybe, just maybe, I could get into that good side of God and maybe he will not punish me. But Paul runs through that argument and says, no, it is not through your merit that you're loved. You're loved because God loves. And you by faith enter into his love. 
I used to teach and one of the things that we have in our school in the past was if you do a good behavior, pass your assignments right, do a right, um, you know, you have the perfect score in a test, we would give you a pink slip. slip. Okay, it's, it's, it's a small piece of paper where um, we, we commend your behavior and then we say, oh, you have 100 in your test and, and, and you can bring it home, show it to your mom, make it, you can brag, you know, at the end of the year, I have this much pink slips. But then if you have um, done wrong things, uh, say be late or uh, have said something wrong in class or whatever, you'd be given a blue slip which would have, you know, a sort of demerit. <laughs> and then you'd have to show it to your parents and the parents would have to sign. And then there's a an amount of blue slips that you could only accumulate until you be suspended or something, you know. And, and that kind of a system helps them, uh, I hope, study well. <laughs> but then think about it. If our salvation was about pink slips and blue slips, if God's love was about how much I put into the table, how much I read my Bible. If God's love were about how much I love other people, I don't think we'd have enough pink slips to get in the good side of God. That is why Paul's response is so appropriate to say, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how wonderful this love is. Because I'm not entering into it because of my abilities, but because of the love of God to me. In a world where we're measured by our abilities and strengths, with our merits, God says, no, you're loved because you're loved, even in your worst day. And maybe you're that person, you're listening to this, you're a mom who's trying to figure out how to deal with this quarantine period at home and you're struggling, God loves you. And maybe you're a father, you lost your job, and you're struggling. I want you to know this, God loves you. Not all before, all before the facts of your life. The constant reality is this, that in faith, we enter into the loving presence of God, regardless of our ethnicity, our merits as people, all because of his love, his sovereign love. And we look at this and we look at the words that Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 5 to 12. For with, one, with a heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He's again quoting Deuteronomy 30. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12 of chapter 10. And remember that story? Israelites and Jewish, pe Jewish people and Gentile people arguing? Listen to Paul saying this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Stop it, Israelites, with your bragging that you're the chosen people, with your bickering that you're not, you know, not all are chosen. Stop it, Gentiles, with your bragging that you are entering into this with no background of ethnicity. Stop it. Focus on Christ. And, and I think about it today because maybe, maybe just maybe, um, we don't argue the way the Roman people are arguing already, right? I mean, you know, um, 
maybe our arguments are based on our political stances. Maybe our arguments are because of work. Maybe our arguments are now because of differences in hairstyles. Hopefully not. Or what shows you watch. But all those are leveled in the field of grace. All our differences placed on a different plane just because of the love of God. So, if God's love is sovereign, therefore, our righteousness is based on faith. That our righteousness is because that we put our trust in Him. Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that, so that no one would boast. Elijah, in the midst of many deaths of the prophets, and Paul uses that example here as well, he says, because again, the Israelites were, were, were at, at the problem. Like, what happens now to Israelites? And how, what happens to the people of God? And then and, and Paul's response is, well, during the time of Elijah, I mean, some were dying and they fell away. But God continued on his promise because God's love is sovereign. Because God's love transcends suffering. God's love transcends ethnicity political opinions, preferences, even our own personal views of Him are reshaped when we encounter the love of God. And now, chapter 11, verse 13, he turns to the Gentiles. You can imagine the conversation. He was talking to the Jews, telling them, you are not supposed to do that. And then he turns to the Gentiles. And he says, chapter 11, verse 13, Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, which to them, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means reconciliation with the word, what will their acceptance mean but life from the death? <laughs> Think about that. So he's telling the Gentiles, hey, hey, guys. I'm, I'm much an apostle to you guys. I'm, I'm the guy who went around. Paul was writing this during the third missionary journey that he had. So he has been into a lot of these Gentile territories. And, and he's saying to them, I mean, as much as I've been going and missionary to you guys, I'm doing this because I want these guys, the Israelites, to actually also feel the need and, and desire. His word that he used, jealous. The desire to be in the dislove of this Jesus. And he says this, But if some of the branches were broken off and you all the wild olive shoot were grafted in, do not be arrogant toward the branches. So you see now how important the story behind the letter into understanding this letter, into understanding what sovereignty means. Many times debates are, you know, hundreds of years of debates about God's sovereignty and human responsibility has been thrown off. Many Christians argue about this. And I feel like whenever we argue about chapter 9 to 11 of the Bible, whenever we throw angry words, we're missing the point. Because Paul was exactly saying, stop being arrogant towards your brother. And, and you stop counting them off just because they're Gentiles. And I think about that in our modern day. Because I do not think we have Jews or Gentile divides in the modern day church, at least in the community that I am part of. But many times the division comes in forms of other things. 
That's why if God's love is sovereign and it transcends our opinions, our, our, our preferences, it transcends our ethnic, uh, affiliations. And it, if, if it is only by faith that righteousness is attained, then it should bring us to a point of humility and worship. And thus I go back to that question. How does God's sovereignty shape the way we live our lives? If God's love is sovereign and, and that therefore we're righteous based on faith and our allegiance to Jesus by putting our faith in Him, it means having a deep sense that I am loved beyond anybody else can love me. Above and beyond how much my friends could love me, above and beyond how much my wife could love me, above and beyond how much my child could love me, I am loved. And therefore, I feel the sense of humility and therefore I feel the sense of worship. And only then, only when we fully, truly realize the depth of this love, can we go to verse 33 of chapter 11 and say, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgment. How unscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has seen His, been His counselor? He's quoting Isaiah and Job. Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? And I want to zoom into the last words of this chapter. He says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. That in all these things, and, and, and that he saved the Israelites, that he saved Gentiles, that he saved you and me, that all these things well up to the truth that it is for the glory of God. It is for the joy of of our souls in the glory of God. There's much to say about sovereignty of God's love. Like many things in this life, it's one of those things that we can talk on and on and on and not fully grasp, yet we can try. And Paul attempts to do that by bringing in images and stories that are very familiar to the Bible people. And today as we reflect on this, my prayer is that we just, we don't, just look at God's sovereignty and say, okay, God, your love is sovereign. Therefore, I mean, you know, I'll just do whatever I want. The two polar opposites that are wrong when it comes to God's sovereignty and God's and man's responsibility is this. There are those who, by leaning in God's sovereignty, just slide do- towards a path of fatalism. You know, fatalism says, eh, mahal naman pala ako ni Lord eh. Kahit ano, okay lang. Which is totally wrong because the Bible shows us that we have responsibility over the love of God that is given into our lives. And at the same other side of the coin, there are those people who lean towards human responsibility too much that they, they go to this form of determinism that says, if I don't do this, baka hindi ako mahal ni Lord. If I don't do the right things, if I don't do these things, I might not be blessed. And, and those two polar opposites are just too wrong. And somewhere in between is the mystery of God's glorious sovereignty and man's responsibility. And how they interact, honestly, I don't know. But what I know is this. God's love is sovereign. And I am called 
to live out my faith because of the love and the grace of God that flows into my life. That's why after three chapters, chapter 9, 10, 11, he goes to chapter 12 and says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual or true act of worship. If the love of God causes us to not want to live this way, then we have not understood the love of God. What does it mean to live under the sovereign love of God? It reminds me of a story of my friends who lives in the U.S. In 2017 of December, we were chatting and the guy messaged me and said, you know what? We're pregnant and we're so happy and, and we, we were celebrating with them. We were praying with them. Some months after, he said, we lost the baby, bro. My heart, literally, I felt it like, man, that's just so heartbreaking. Prayed for them, counseled them, journeyed with them. Some months after, towards the end of that year, 2018, he told me they had lost three. Three children already at that point. Three miscarriages in, in one year. And I cannot imagine the pain because one is heartbreaking. Three, I don't know how to explain 2019, another miscarriage. And in the midst of all of those things, I always hear him say, but we believe God is sovereign. Now, and I know the theology of sovereignty. I know all the Bible verses here, at least that to talk about it. But I am not sure if I can face the road holding on to that sovereignty through the pains of this life. And my prayer is this, for you and me, that as we go through this life, that we don't just know God's love and God's sovereignty. It's through the toughest times of our life. Maybe this time is that time for you. That we can hold on and say, we know God is sovereign. Fairly recently, we had a chat again. In the midst of the pandemic in the US, California filled with smoke because of the burning stuff. They're pregnant again. And this time he says, bro, we're almost there and we believe God is journeying with us. Now, maybe that's not your story. Maybe your story is more difficult than that or less difficult than that. In fact, their story really is not our story. It's God's story of his love and his sovereignty at work. To love beyond their preferences, to love beyond ethnic divides, to love beyond all sorts and kinds of things. That's God's sovereignty. So I invite you, as we take this into a close, if you're a believer in Christ, I invite you to hear Paul's words in chapter 12, verse 1. To live a life as, as a living sacrifice to God. To take away the animosity and the hatred toward others because you're loved beyond your imagination. If you're not a believer in Christ, meaning you chanced upon this video and for some reason you watched throughout towards this end, I pray that you would heed the call of Christ, that you would surrender, that you would declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is the King, that you might enter into this loving grace that He so willingly provides. 
Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, you are the king of all things. Who can know your mind? We are still struggling to find words to describe this sovereign choosing and this sovereign loving beyond the Israel and beyond the Gentiles. It's so difficult to put our head around and wrap around that love. It's so difficult. But thank you. Because we don't need to fully understand it. We just need to know you more and more and more and more. And as we walk towards knowing you, you reveal more and more and more. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are able to work in and through our lives. I pray for those who are suffering in this moment. Pray that you would remind them of your sovereign love. I pray for those who are struggling with their work. I pray that you would compel them, Lord God, to, to just hold on to you and to, to work out their salvation, as Paul would say as well. Lord, thank you for this day that you have touched our lives and as you have drawn us to you. Move mightily the rest of the week. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. I pray that God really moved you and talked to you through that word. And in fact, we're going to show discussion questions right on your screen. And if you are with someone right now, or maybe your victory group, or maybe you're with your friends or your family, I'm not sure where you are, talk to them about these questions. Get one question and send them to your group and just talk about it. It'll be a great time just encouraging one another. And in fact, we have a lot of other things that we do. Let me pray for you as we end. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His counted, this one, His wonderful, wonderful presence in your life. And just that you may feel the peace and the grace and the love of God. Amen and amen. subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victorialamang.church.